0: Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby at the Digital Shelf Institute. Everyone charged with leading e-commerce success also finds themselves cheerleaders, the coaches, and definitely the educators for the shifts that must happen across the business to achieve maximum growth and efficiency. This is a podcast presentation of a recent Digital Shelf Playbook Series webinar, featuring two experts who are deeply experienced in driving this process across multiple organizations. Lauren Levack, who ran North American Digital Shelf Strategy at Johnson & Johnson and is now the Director of the Digital Shelf Institute, and Carrie Messing, Director of Digital Consumer Experience at Danone, here to share her journey on how to educate your organization on e-commerce. All right, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. This is Peter Crosby, Executive Director of the Digital Shelf Institute here. Welcome to the fifth webinar in our 10-episode Digital Shelf Playbook series. Lauren, we're halfway through. So much more to go. I can't believe it. I know. I know. It's really exciting. So as everyone here who's on this webinar knows, everyone charged with leading e-commerce success also finds themselves being the cheerleaders, the coaches, definitely the educators for the shifts that must happen across the business to achieve maximum growth and efficiency. So we're joined today by Lauren Levack, who ran North American Digital Shelf Strategy at Johnson & Johnson, and is now the director of the Digital Shelf Institute and the brains behind this entire series. Lauren, thank you so much for coming back for number five.
1: Thank you, Peter. This one and next one, I'm super excited about. Really important topic, so can't wait to dig in.
0: We're closing out the year well. Lauren will be the first to tell you, none of this would be coming to life without the hundreds of conversations with brand leaders that, that she has had over several years who share their stories, best practices, and challenges from the front lines. And that is why we are so grateful to have Carrie Messing, Director of Digital Consumer Experience at Danone, here to share her journey on how to educate your organization on e-commerce and the digital shelf, Carrie, I hope you know how grateful we are for you contributing to the DSI community. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, I'm so happy to be here. The community has given a lot to me and I'm, I'm happy to give back.
0: Well, before we start, a reminder that throughout the session, please drop your questions into the q and window and we'll get to as many as we can. And we'll be sending out a recording of this, of this presentation a couple of days following to share with your colleagues and continue to be the educators that you are. So uh, just a reminder that this series has really been, as we said, we're halfway through, you can see the pillars here. Lauren really has designed this to think about as you want to move through the digital shelf maturity curve, you want to know what are the skills that you need to get good at across the organization to be able to win on the digital shelf. And so here we are, um, number five. And with that, I will hand it over to Lauren.
1: Thank you, Peter. Super excited for this one. Carrie and I had a lot of great discussions and there's a lot of great content in here. So in terms of what we're going to cover, we are going to talk about what e-commerce education actually means, how we define it for organizations, how to tailor it to different audiences, a sample launch plan to help you as you're building out your e-commerce education plan, And then how to continually stay learning for yourself and for your entire organization. So we always start off by saying why does this matter and from an e-commerce education standpoint it matters because e-commerce and the digital shelf are constantly changing. We're always growing, there's different requirements, there's different trends, different things you need to stay up to date on and When you're doing that, that requires learning for the people in those specific roles and for the rest of your organization to really come on the journey with you through that change. And so it really is a cultural shift, a cultural shift to become a organization that does continuously learn and brings that to the table throughout all of the changes and all of the developments in the digital shelf. So it's really important to think about education and actually continuous education. And I like to bring up this study here by BCG. They did a study on 40 digital transformations and companies that focused on culture were five times more likely to achieve a breakthrough in their transformation than those that didn't. And The breakthrough, when you think about performance and you think about transformation, is not just about education, it's about change management, and we'll be talking about that next, but there's a lot of different facets to that. And we like to talk about it in the brick and mortar versus the digital shelf, and this is one of my favorite quotes, but the digital shelf is not your grandparents' corner store. And what that means is brick and mortar is not the same as online. And for all of us who are in the industry, we understand that. And this list is not inclusive of everything, but it's just to show that there's so many different types of terms and things to think about when you think about the digital shelf, whether it's ratings and reviews or 3 piece selling or SEO or media, there's so many different aspects that you didn't have to think about from a brick and mortar perspective. So it's important to continuously learn and make sure your organization which might be a traditional brick and mortar organization, understands all of those different elements and how they fit into their day-to-day lives. And in that regard, thinking about, uh, oops, sorry, skipped a little ahead, thinking about the two different types of education. When we think about education, there's education on the internal ways of working So how are you working with your processes, your systems, your uh, different teams cross-functionally? How does the entire organization know how to get the work done for digital? And then there's the aspect of the external context. Why does Amazon ask for all of these things? Why do I need all of this data? What is SEO and why is it important? So there's those two different aspects of education that we're going to talk about today that are both really important to be successful holistically with your education program. And so I skipped a bit ahead before, but to engage with the audience and really understand where you are today, we wanted to do a quick poll to understand, do you currently have an e-commerce education program at your organization? So it's either a yes or a no, or maybe you're talking about it, but you haven't put it in place yet. So you'll see a poll pop up on your screen and, Hopefully we can get some good responses here.
0: Oh, it's, it's running. It's running. Awesome. I am going to call the poll in five, four, three, two, and one. Let me throw the results up on the screen. All right.
1: All right. So it looks like 66% do not have an e-commerce program and About 24% are talking about it and some do. So interesting mix. I think Carrie, you would probably agree that we probably see more organizations that haven't yet established a program but are
2: starting
1: to think about it as we're going through this big change.
2: Yeah, I think that 10% of no, we do not doesn't surprise me, but it also reinforces why we're here today to talk about putting that e-commerce education program in place in a more formalized way at your organization.
1: Great, for everyone who answered no, hopefully you'll have a solid plan after this and some really great tips about how to implement an e-commerce education program. And with that, I'm
2: going to hand it over to Carrie. Awesome, so we are going to talk about the roadmap to building an education program. But before rushing out and frantically developing content, just take one giant step back because e-commerce education is a huge, complex topic. And where we've seen people get frustrated and give up is when they're trying to accomplish too many things at once. Maybe that's some of the folks that answered, yes, we're thinking about it, but we haven't quite figured out how do we crack this huge nut? Uh, We're here today to talk about how you can break it down into digestible pieces and start to create the actionable program. So take time to objectively assess your organization. This is going to help you to identify what education will fit your organization's specific needs, you will likely have unique problems um, and have a unique ideal end state it's not going to be a one size fits all approach. So once you have that crystallized in your mind and that's this first phase here you'll begin to formalize your plans. Um, And then finally you can measure and document success because measurement can help you to refine those initial plans or shift your focus to new topics. If you've achieved one of your initial objectives this will be something that's constantly changing and evolving uh, but the most important thing is just getting started. So let's start tackling these one by one. The first step is to take stock of the stakeholders that touch e-commerce in some way. And as you can see on this slide, that is a growing list, which is why scaling an education program is so important. When you define the stakeholder list, think not only about the people that you work with daily, but also where e-commerce isn't part of the day-to-day, but maybe it should be. That could be an area like R&D, maybe you're not plugged in there, um, or it could be another area you don't see here. I know for Danone, an area we identified was our commercial finance organization. So try to take some time and come up with an exhaustive list here. Then we're ready to move on to the discovery phase. So depending on the number of stakeholders, maybe you wanna craft a survey to gather information. Informational interviews can also be a great way to gather details from your partners and something we relied on heavily at Danone. So I'd like to balance a qualitative and a quantitative assessment in this upfront phase we jotted down a few questions here that you'll want to ask stakeholders as part of that engagement. Uh, What are their key problems and frustrations? Um, Are they hungry for information, but aren't sure where to get it or where to gather that information? Um, Do you identify knowledge gaps that are consistent across different stakeholder groups?
0: And- When um, when you you, uh, went on this research journey, did you find that stake there were stakeholders that were just like now i'm good like we got a lot going on we got a lot on our plate uh leave us out of this round or do or do you or has that shifted in i hate i'm sorry for me bringing up but in the time of covid like where e-commerce has taken on a a greater just i'd love to get a sense as people are thinking about going out and kind of tapping on resources that are probably already a bit overwhelmed? What did you, did you have to do any sort of arm twisting or did it go pretty well?
2: You know, we, it actually did go pretty well. And I think you're right. There was this watershed moment where everyone realized that e-commerce was important following the peak of COVID. And so uh, I think if, if you would have asked me that question before the COVID timeframe, I may have had a different response, particularly as a largely refrigerated manufacturer that, Uh, maybe didn't value e-commerce the same way that we do now. But I do think what we found across the organization, it's overwhelmingly people are interested in this topic, but are maybe overwhelmed and intimidated on where to start. Um, One of the things that we uncovered at Denone is we actually anticipated people to be further along the maturity curve than they were. And so we ended up having to focus more on fundamentals than we anticipated.
0: That's really, I mean, that's what's so, that's what's so exciting about this work is often just by asking these questions, that, that makes people sort of lean forward, I would imagine, mm-hmm. rather than sort of resist because you kind of can't argue with the data. Once you ask these questions and you have a survey, then you can sort of say, hey, here's where we're at. Let's, mm-hmm. where, do we, where do we go? Thank you, that's, that's really helpful.
2: Yeah, of course. And and just to go into some of the examples of things that we heard, you know, we heard from our sales organization that sales teams are starting to get asked questions about e-commerce in their buyer meetings. And you know, they were feeling overwhelmed and unprepared. And we also got a sense from executives that we spoke to that it's an unfamiliar topic, but maybe they're reluctant to ask questions as well. So I think that for us, again, some of those fundamentals emerged as core themes. And that's kind of what we'll see on the next slide is is once you do this initial discovery, identify those core themes uh, across the stakeholder groups that that you've spoken to, couple those with your expertise as an e-commerce executive to prioritize what you think will have the most impact. So for us, again, there was this lack of understanding around the core fundamentals. We knew that was gonna be a core part of our program. Um, and we we dug into what, what does fundamentals mean to us? Here are some examples listed on the screen. Maybe you find that ways of working are really opaque and you need to spend some time uh, illustrating those to your cross-functional partners by way of roles and responsibilities or key players. Maybe there are some myths that you hear um, that have been perpetuated in your organization, like Amazon matters the most, but maybe there are other channels that you're leaning into heavily on the omni-channel or delivery network side. Um, or maybe it's just a question of, of data literacy. So uh, that's the next phase is really dis- distill those key themes. Um, and then uh, we, we now have a clear list of prioritized content and can create our objectives or, or define what the end state looks like. We have a few examples listed here. Uh, it could be sponsorship for a particular initiative. Maybe you're just seeking general cross, greater cross functional alignment, um, or again, that common understanding of the e commerce fundamentals, a common language that you can then uh, speak to across all teams. So next, um, brainstorming. You have that clear list of prioritized content. We know what we're aspiring to. We're ready to dig in and start formalizing the actual plan. Um, Brainstorming how you can achieve the objective depending on the audience is an important step. You should plan to tailor the educational content in a way that works for different audiences and stakeholder groups across different levels of the organization. Um, so executives are gonna need a different level of information than someone that has their hands on their keyboard every day. Uh, we had an idea just to, by way of an example to create how to guides for our sales reps to show them how to walk a digital store. Something that's that in depth probably isn't gonna make sense for an executive. So maybe the executives really a one pager discussion around the, the key areas on the digital shelf could be something along those lines. Um, and another important pillar that we put on here is self, because since um, you or your teams will be constantly evolving this educational program and plan, keeping up with what's happening in e-commerce and evolving that plan is, is hugely important. So um, don't neglect yourself in this education program allow.
1: And, Carrie, one thing that I heard from a, a lot of different people, and going back to the topics that you covered off on, is that business owner mindset. So, if you can frame the topics that you're talking about from a business owner mindset, it makes it easier for the people doing the work to feel like it's connected to what they are. So, executives naturally have that, but for maybe middle management or hands on keyboard, how can you help them put on that business owner mindset cap and say, okay, how is the work I'm doing affecting the greater business? And I don't know, Carrie, if you also felt that way, but that's what I heard a lot from organizations when I spoke
2: to them as well. Yeah. And I think that's why that initial assessment is so important because it also helps you to understand the unique needs of each stakeholder group so that you can get to this step. So for your brand leaders, you have to understand uh, what do they care most about? And in our case, Uh, A lot of our brands wanted to know, well, how can I measure my brand's success on the digital shelf? And we were just rolling out a digital shelf measurement um, tool. We're still in the process of doing that. But that would be uh, a way to put yourself in the shoes of the audience um, and have that mindset as you're creating the the curriculum structure.
0: Hey, Carrie, um, I realized we didn't at the beginning sort of dig into your role at Danone, but what made this your job? And was it your job, or you know, how did you? Because this is a lot of work I'm looking at here, and I'm just wondering how this fits into your day job, and uh, and how you see it sort of getting um, getting rolled out at know.
2: Yeah. So my role is um, I'm sort of the lead over our e-commerce center of excellence, which includes um, marketing and strategy. So that's the digital shelf, and then um, search and full funnel marketing, and then finally capability development and enablement and for for us this really sat within that capability pillar because we know that we will be able to get so much leverage from the broader organization if we are able to instill e-commerce knowledge across all teams it's no longer something that is um, one individual team or person's responsibility it's the responsibility of the full organization so um I think that's a good good point, is where does this fall within our role description? And we just knew that we would be able to get so much leverage by having an education program, and that's why it was important for us.
0: It makes a ton of sense. Thanks. Of course. If anyone has questions, or you know, if, if this resonates with you in terms of where it might live, or if, you you know, any questions that you have, don't forget, drop it in the Q&A and we'll get to it. Thanks.
2: Yeah. And I know we have a slide coming up also talking that I think is gonna dovetail nicely into our conversation, Peter, around, well, is this one person's responsibility? And I think what I would say is rely on your partners. If you have a training and development team, if you have a global team that's already building out content or expressing interest in helping, that's part of this journey um, and identifying partners that can support. So, great. Um, All right, so now we're ready to take it from the planning phase and physically build out and create the content and learning assets according to what's needed for those core audience segments. Um, So we spoke about this already about maybe for an executive forum, it's part of an existing presentation that's already planned, Um, could be a template or best practice that's in a written form, a training video, a lunch and learn. There's a lot of ways that the content can be built out. But just remember in this phase that everyone learns differently. And so you want to have multiple ways to engage with like content.
1: And then repetition, repetition is key, right? So how can you create a standard deck or a standard slide that can just go into every presentation? So you're just being repetitive in the best way because that's how we all learn, right? How can you continue to show up with that content?
2: Yeah, we, we actually have this slide that's sort of infamous at Danone, which, which is a one pager. It's a Venn diagram of the different components of our business. And it was to illustrate that e-commerce doesn't equal Amazon, because that was a, a misconception that we really had to hone in on. And to your point, just getting that one pager in every deck is has been really impactful. Um, so once that content is created and we already have our macro objectives, but defining specifics on how you'll measure success within each element of the program uh, is also important. So think about those key results for each facet of your program. If you have a a component of formal education, that could be a completion rate, depending on the number of of individuals you're sending it out to. Um, If you're planning to do that survey that I suggested earlier, maybe you have a bi-monthly survey or quarterly survey and you're targeting a score improvement on a certain dimension. Could be just a number of attendees, you just wanna get the message socialized to more people. Um, or if you are if you have some written content that's built and housed on a, a central hub like SharePoint or, or whatever file sharing is used at your organization, you can track how many people are accessing that content. Um, by, a, by number of, of departments. So um, one other thing that really worked well at Danone was outside of, you know, of course you have this documented plan with timelines and owners attached. But we actually involved engaged stakeholders and we called them our e-commerce champions and we enlisted those champions to help make the rollout more successful so that's something that uh, we did that not only at a local level but also globally uh, so i was our e-com- e-commerce champion as well as my, my counterpart victoria for our business in the north america and we had like counterparts across the globe Uh, who were really making sure that the the rollout was successful. And this can be helpful because you're giving your stakeholders jobs and getting them excited about the business. You could even have this tied in with maybe their objectives. It could be part of their individual development plan. We found a lot of people wanted to raise their hand and be part of this. So involve, uh, involve stakeholders when you can.
0: Hey, and Jill, bring- we, we had somebody in our audience uh, raise their hand to ask a question. It's uh, I think it's uh, Sharon. Are you are you there? And did you want to ask live?
2: No, I'm sorry, I hit the button by accident. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but thanks thanks for calling me out. But <laughs> no, so far, I, we we, no. we don't often have live Q and A, and it was so exciting. I was like, oh my God, Sharon! <laughs> what's no, I went. Oh shoot! I hope they didn't see that. But. Oh, um, I So far,
1: this is like super relatable. So I'll just end on that.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Sharon. (laughs) That'll teach you to hit the wrong button.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And finally, just to bring it all together, here's a summary of that sample launch plan. So ground zero is just identifying needs. Then you can get into formalizing your plans framework based on those unique needs. Involving champions in the rollout, creating that rollout plan, assigning timelines, dates, owners attached to it, and then measuring progress, celebrating those successes and iterating. This won't be something that's one and done, Um, so, so just making sure to continually evolve this program as it stands. A lot of folks ask here, what do we think in terms of timeline? I also think it's really important to set some guardrails for that on you, for your business, because this is something that could very easily become something that is important, but doesn't get prioritized. So I I would attach, you know, within eight to 12 weeks, we want to have this broader rollout that gives us time to identify the needs, develop the framework, and, um, and start to roll it out with champions.
1: Perfect. And, and Carrie, to your point, this transitions really well into the statement, but education is really a journey and it is continuous. And as Carrie said, it needs to be something that you ingrain into your organization so that if there is a new trend or there's a change, you have a program in place where you can help launch that within the organization so they have that context to be able to do their job and so that all the correct stakeholders are involved. And we wanted to kind of better understand from you today, we've talked about this a bit, and we're going to dive in after the poll, but from your perspective, who is responsible for education today? So some of you have a program, some of you don't, but curious if if anyone in your organization is focused on education and learning, whether it's the digital, digital center of excellence, you have a learning and development team, Maybe there's a sales or marketing function, or you don't have, have a formal education program. Really interested in, in learning that from you.
0: Poll is live. All right. 50, 52, 59% participating. We're getting up there. Ooh, I it's going up. I love this audience.
1: I find this so exciting when we're just anticipating <laughs> the results of the poll.
0: I really need my drum set out here. I don't play drum, so I was kidding. All right, so I'm going to close the poll in three, two, one, and share results.
1: All right, so it looks like most don't have a formal education program. Some do have a center of excellence or a learning and development team. And to Carrie's point, really exciting that you have a learning and development team, leverage them. And or if you're in an organization where maybe you don't know the answer, see if there is one, because that's a really great way to partner cross functionally. And to the digital center of excellence piece. uh, I'm glad that some people on the call do have a digital center of excellence, because we are going to talk a little bit about that in in a couple of slides, because depending on where it lives in the organization, it's it's different ways of being able to focus on it so. Sorry, for some reason, my slides are skipping today. Um, How to stay up to date. You want to make sure that your organization knows where to go to for information. To Carrie's point, everyone learns differently. Some people are on a self-service model where they just want to go and read and learn, or they want to go to a formal training. So there's a lot of media and publications. This is just a small sampling, but there's a lot of opportunities to have your organization subscribe to these. Get them in their email so that they can read some of these articles. Podcasts are super popular. I know Peter has a stake in this for unpacking the Digital Shelf. Definitely a popular one to add to your list Uh, and a great host. And then from a networking standpoint, there's a lot of conferences, opportunities where you can meet other professionals. The Digital Shelf Institute itself is a community where you can meet other professionals as well. So making sure you're staying up to date is, is super important there. And I actually think I skipped a slide. I knew there was a slide that was skipped, sorry for the the out of orderness there. But to the point about building an education program to scale, Carrie talked about it being in the digital center of excellence and that's usually where it starts because that's where you operationalize it and that's where you bring it to your broader organization. But that is not built to scale and is a little bit more of a push than a pull. And so in order to really help that emanate throughout the entire organization, there's a couple of things to think about. How can you create content and assets that are very easily accessible? How can you empower your sales team, your marketing team? And to Carrie's point, it's on the SharePoint. Here it is, go make sure you talk about this in your town halls or your weekly meetings and really empower those different teams to do that. Integrating education into the brand planning process. How is it that standard slide or that standard checklist or the standard questions to ask that are relevant to the digital shelf and to e-commerce and build that into your program overall. And then enable the brand to field any of those questions. So with this education, those sales members that Carrie was talking about could answer those questions or those brand members would be able to answer those questions that were being asked of them. So the more you can help penetrate within the organization and really allow them to absorb that material and then share it out, the easier it will be for you. And Carrie, I don't know if you have any additional thoughts there.
2: Yeah, and Lauren, just by way of example, one of the things that we did, and I know Peter is gonna be chatting with Circus Street in an upcoming podcast, but we we did partner with a formal provider of e-commerce education. And for that rollout, we did something... um, to create this pull approach, we actually launched the curriculum to a limited audience to start. And so we said, you know, the first hundred people from sales and marketing that raise their hand are going to have this early access into e-commerce education. We wanna get your feedback uh, to, to define how this is gonna look for the broader rollout. And that was really successful in getting some of those champions as well and getting this idea of pull. So I, I think that's absolutely right is in order to scale, you're, you're going to need to have a mix of
0: both. And, Carrie, and it also one. makes
1: it a bit exclusive, right? So that, that means that everyone wants to kind of get in on it. So it allows that internal marketing to trickle as well.
0: And yeah, absolutely. And, and this makes me wonder, Carrie, and you tell me if this is too much of a stretch, but I hear so often from members of the Digital Shelf Institute that, that they're struggling to find digital talent To join the company and i think a big opportunity is can you turn people that you already have that love this area or love commerce or are experienced in other sides of the area maybe shopper marketing on the more traditional side of the house can you use this education process as a way of uncovering potential new digital employees that that then all you have to focus on they know the business and so the rest of it is just enabling that education have you seen that happening at all
2: Absolutely. And one thing that we find, we know as e-commerce professionals is there's typically more work to do than there is people to do it. So what we found is through those champions that may raise their hand, if they see e-commerce as a potential future career path from them, they could partner with us to do a project. So maybe it's something smaller to give them exposure and visibility, but that is something that the there's just a scarcity of e-commerce talent. And so it's not only about upskilling individuals in their respective functions, but also building building that bench for the e-commerce team or the COE team as well. So I think absolutely there's a way to connect those two.
0: Love it. Incentives.
2: I think that's
1: great. there's there's so many opportunities to learn and so many places to. So once you're able to empower your organization, it's really exciting to see that take flight. And I think the other thing we we touched on it a bit, but I want to bring it up again, education also relieves a lot of the tension in the organization because there could be misunderstanding as to why supply chain is asking for this or sales is asking for this or marketing needs this. and and I found through a lot of our conversations and my own experience that once there's that understanding, then everybody knows that we're marching towards the same goal. And it's not like, oh, well, Lauren made that up and she's asking for that data, but it's not relevant. And I don't know, Carrie, if you also found that to be similar as well.
2: Yeah. Or we're just, this is something that Lauren's responsible and not me. You know, the, the more we can create, like this impacts all of us and we have a shared objective and we each play a role in that shared objective. I think, um, I think that's part of connecting the dots and it does absolutely diffuse the t- any tension that might exist.
1: And I, I love that we brought up that theme because one thing that I wanted to talk a bit about now that we're halfway through the series is a couple of really relevant themes that have resonated through all of the webinars we've talked about. For those of you who've been on all of them, thank you so much for attending them all. Um, but the three things I really wanted to talk about was Cross functional alignment. We just touched on it a bit. You will hear that in every single topic. How do you get the entire organization, everyone touches digital in some way, how do you get them involved? How do you bring them along the journey and make sure that they understand why it's important? Second piece being using advocates in your organization. How are you getting the people in the organization that are passionate and that understand? why these things are important to help you build that and help spread that messaging and adoption throughout the organization. That is really critical. And that's that bottoms up approach as well as the top down approach of having leadership really set those goals for the organization. And then the third one being really clearly defining and communicating process and roles. Carrie talked about it in the beginning of this session, making sure you're defining what your goals are communicating those out really clearly, from a process standpoint, making sure that everybody knows their place in the process and understands where their role fits in. And so those three themes we've seen across all of the pillars of the Digital shelf Playbook, I'm sure we will continue to see them, but just wanted to highlight those because if you can keep that in mind as you are launching any initiative or working for the digital shelf, for e-commerce, for anything you're working on from a transformation perspective, those will be really, really impactful.
0: Hey, Lauren, can I add one? Sure. Thank you. I feel like (laughs) the the fourth might be, if I were to add a little bonus one, is take it one step at a time. You know, with all of this, Mm -hmm. it has its maturity curve. And especially if you don't feel like this is really what this is like an additional part of your job and it's feeling overwhelming, just pick, you know, if you do that survey and then get some direction, just pick a topic uh, and Carrie, you can tell me, but I just feel like this can feel overwhelming. Oh my gosh, I don't have a center of excellence. Why, you know, but just start with with something and find a few people who are willing to come along on the journey with you. Uh, Carrie, does that resonate? Oh, that, that
2: does a hundred percent. I think, um to the point of more work than can uh than we can possibly accomplish you're going to have to prioritize and even if you can educate five people in your organization that's better than where you started so i think it's just pick something and make some progress and you're going to evolve and and iterate over time
0: and sharon did ask in the chat i I hope everyone saw it she asked sort of if you haven't seen the rest of this uh where could you go i put the link to the uh, to the whole series uh, in the chat, so feel free to copy that bookmark. It come back. We will be doing these uh, into, gosh, I think at least through Q one of next year, maybe even a little bit into Q two, and then we're not a little gonna bit into Q two. <laughs> this whole thing of then coming back to these pillars in the playbook and talking to people who are going through it, uh, continuing to to talk about the maturity curve. It's going to be our topic, I think, for, for a long time to come because it's what we're all trying to, to figure out. Uh, so we're at the Q&A portion. Feel free, as I said, to throw stuff into the Q&A, but I did want to throw a couple of questions out here uh, that had come up. Um, Carrie. when you think about the, the training, is it sort of one size fits all or were you doing it by function Um, and and you tailor each one? Because when I think of that uh, huge set of circles, there's a lot of, of stakeholders on there. Do you have to do something different for each of those stakeholders? How much do you tailor?
2: So I think some of it's within that stakeholder group, identifying who needs to be involved versus informed is also a good distinction. Uh, we did tailor our formal curriculum, um, by audience, but we only took a few audiences through the curriculum. So sales, marketing, and executives were our core pillars. And then we had a more in-depth training for e-commerce, um, you know, the e-commerce team specifically. So I think that goes back to the point of just take small steps. And we knew these are the biggest ones that we're working with every day and that, um, Really need these fundamentals today. We'll worry about integration points with R and D and maybe some of the upstream creative work that we aspire to as a phase two. So, but I do think it's important to tailor the curriculum to those audiences because otherwise, it's not going to be relevant. And then if they can't see the connection for their day to day, in one ear out the other, and they're just going to discount the education completely.
0: Right. Lauren, that resonates. And Carrie,
2: can you?
1: I was just going to say, can you talk a bit about the global regional piece? I really love how you tackled that within your organization and how you used measurement to to help engage the organization. If you can talk about that, I think that will be really impactful.
2: Yeah, sure. So we did roll out the the curriculum globally. We had autonomy at the local level to define um, which trainings were most applicable. So for instance there's an entire amazon 3p module which didn't have relevance to the north america market so we opted out of that but one thing that i thought was really successful is we had all of the countries um, had a score and that was published on a biweekly basis to create this competition across countries so of course we wanted to be the best so we would when we would send out the scores and say hey China or whatever region is beating us on our completion scores, that would really, we would see an immediate impact and okay, now more and more people would complete the training. So that was something that worked really well for us is people are competitive, try to use that to your advantage. I really loved that,
1: that gamification of, of what you were doing in your organization to really help everyone overall, right? Because it helps you meet your goal to spread the word about e-commerce, more people are educated, and then it also builds awareness of the education across the globe. So I just loved that story so much. So thank you for sharing that.
0: Yeah, of course. And then finally, uh, did did you work with your IT team at all on this training? Were there integrations that were needed to be able to accomplish the training or give it at the correct depth like what was what was that partnership like
2: yeah there weren't because it was housed on a, a third-party platform um so we didn't integrate this in um with with our with it i guess but we do from a formal training and development we have some new hire orientation that now e-commerce has been incorporated in so it's i would say less about creating something new and more about identifying the integration points and how can we plug into that existing infrastructure to be successful.
0: Yeah, and you had mentioned that uh, Circus Street, I think, I don't know if that, that's the partner you were talking about, right? They will be joining us on a future podcast. We haven't recorded it yet, but uh, we'll definitely subscribe to Unpacking the Digital Shelf uh, if, if you want to hear that in a future episode, but they really have been uh, key partners for you. And do you recommend engaging with an outside firm or does is that just what made sense for 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 Danone?
2: I do. I think it's we have a slide in here on um having a balance between internal and external partners. And I think that uh, they've been able to help us with that formal training and curriculum. They already have sessions pre-built. They're very engaging, video-based. Another thing I really like is they do a pre-assessment at the beginning of the training and then a post-assessment. So you can track how your organization is progressing and what that baseline was. Um, For us, that's not the entire it's not a one size fits all, I guess. It doesn't solve all of our education needs. So we do still have internal lunch and learns. We are still having those executive presentations. Right. Uh, it doesn't replace the internal work. It's more of a compliment.
0: Yeah. Cause you're right. I mean, it's, it's the fundamentals are part of it, but then the, how do we do it here part will always need to be colleagues speaking to colleagues, I would imagine. Right.
2: Yes, but it did certainly help us to accelerate um, and scale, particularly when we were talking about a global rollout across time zones, and uh, it's been a game changer in that respect.
0: And Lauren just asked a question, what is the name of that external company? It is Circus Street, like uh, Clowns Circus, they they do it that way, (laughs) don't be scared. Uh, E-commerce is is a
2: circus, I guess, (laughs) right?
0: Uh, It is Circus Street. Uh, And then Sharon asked, where do you see the value in using that third party versus internal training? Is there a particular topic that a company would benefit from external expertise?
2: Yeah, I think it's some of those topics that um, are more consistent across the industry where we found value in partnering with a third party. So principles like SEO, that's going to be pretty consistent uh, across, across teams. When we think about something like how is our PL structured at known And what are some of the nuances for ways of working? That's really where layering internal expertise comes into place.
0: And, and I would just say, you know, when, when a professional company like that is developing curriculum uh, and then seeing how it works across a bunch of customers, it usually ends up, well, this isn't always true. I've had some like HR kind of outside things that I wish I hadn't had to watch, but they do, I I. I tend to find them more engaging just because they also are trying to make them sort of entertaining and engaging. And sometimes internal trainers don't really have the, the resources or the time to sort of think about that in addition to just offloading information. Has that been your experience, Carrie?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair assessment, certainly. And I also think there's, if you're trying to upskill
1: your organization that, and that information or that expertise doesn't exist, that's where that external vendor can really help to bring that in and you can get the industry specifics because it's changing so often. So even if it's just the beginning to kind of level set Mm -hmm. on what's really important in the industry, what's happening, what you need to know to upskill that expertise and then supplementing with internal training and Carrie, correct me if I'm wrong there, but that's what I've seen to be super helpful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's creating that common language and understanding as a starting point. So what is a product detail page? What are the core components of that? And why does it matter for your digital shelf? Those are things that are pretty consistent um, across the industry. And then again, you can layer in that that company-specific or team-specific nuance. Well,
0: uh, just because we are are overstaying our welcome, Uh, Lauren and Carrie, I just want to thank you so much for adding to our digital shelf playbook series today. You know, it's it's so uh, it's just so uh, it strikes me every time when we do these just how generous it is for Carrie, somebody like you, to take time to really think how not only that the fact that you're doing this, but to be able to give that back to the industry is really, really generous. And I just want to thank you for that.
2: Well, thank you. Happy to be here.
0: And Lauren, Thanks you have Terry. to be here, so.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but happy to be here.
0: <laughs> but I am delighted to announce the final <laughs> webinar of the year in this series, and it's a biggie. On November 4th at 1 p.m. Eastern, Lauren and Chris Parsons, who's president of the Americas for Juvenile Products Company Mayborn Group, will talk critical best practices for change management in this drive to win on the digital shelf. I mean, every single topic that we touch here has a change management component. Uh, and and getting good at that, and knowing some more stories from that process, I think will be super useful. So join us November 4th, 1 p.m. Eastern. The link to that uh, sign up will be in the follow-up email, which, as I mentioned earlier, will also include a recording to this webinar for you to share with the folks you think would benefit from it. Thanks so much to Lauren and Carrie for allowing us this crossover episode of the Digital Shelf Playbook series. If you'd like to see or share the original source webinar, we have the link in the show notes or go to digitalshelfinstitute.org slash digital-shelf-playbook. All the webinars of the Digital Shelf Playbook series will be posted there over the coming months. If you have questions about any of this or hate using show notes, you can reach out to Lauren Levack anytime on LinkedIn or at Lauren at digitalshelfinstitute.org. Thanks for being part of our community.